Welcome to our mindfulness podcast. Each week or so, we will have a different podcast, different speakers, different chants, different Dharma talks. But mindfulness practice in Buddhism helps us focus and helps us be aware. And this program will consist of many different ways of meditating. We usually begin with bowing or gasho, then we prepare to sit, and we will sit for approximately 10 minutes. And then we will either stand and walk for another five minutes to kind of get blood into our legs again and and, uh, relax our muscles. And then we'll sit for another 10 approximately. And then we will chant, which is another form of meditation. Uh, We focus on the characters and we pronounce the sounds as a group. And it's a kind of a ritual of oneness. And then after that, we'll have a short Dharma talk of about five to 10 minutes. And then we'll close with Gasho. And this also includes offering incense. We offer incense, but you could also light the incense before the service starts. And this is kind of the program uh, of how our meditation services proceed. And so we will be getting underway today uh, with our program. Thank you very much. We will now have seated meditation. Take a moment to see that your back is straight and centered with your shoulders relaxed. If you're in a chair, It's best to sit forward slightly rather than leaning on the chair back and keep your feet flat on the floor. Try keeping your eyes half open, resting the gaze gently downward without focusing on anything in particular. In the same way, be open to whatever sounds are coming into your ears, whether from inside the room or outdoors. We are not trying to isolate ourselves from the world around us, but rather feel that we're part of that world. If you like, you may count your breaths from one to ten. Inhale deeply. Let it all out. Try slowing down your rate of breathing relative to what it would be at other times. We are not trying to think about anything in particular or visualize anything. We simply watch our thoughts come and go.
Please put your hands together in Gasho. Bow. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Naman Dabutsu. Naman Dabutsu. Naman Dabutsu. You may stretch your legs and then please stand. We will now have our standing meditation session. Your upper body is in the same position as for sitting meditation. Straight head and spine, shoulders back, eyes half open, hands comfortably positioned in front. Legs should be shoulder width apart with knees slightly bent. Again, rock forward and backward and side to side to find your center. Standing meditation reminds us to take our meditation practice out into the world. Waiting in line at the store, being stuck in traffic, going through TSA security at the airport. Over time, meditation becomes a practice for the body and mind that can be recalled when needed most, in situations that may be merely annoying, perhaps frustrating, or even stressful. We will begin at the sound of the bell.
Please put your hands together in Gasho and bow. Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts. Return to your seat or cushion. Sitting in this way, we might wonder what purpose we are achieving. Actually, there is no specific purpose. I think it's really to make us aware of what sitting is, what breathing is, standing is. What are these simple activities that we do most of the time without thinking about them at all? We'll begin our second sitting at the bell.
Please put your hands together in Gasho. Bow. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Naman Dabutsu. Naman Dabutsu. Naman Dabutsu. We will begin uh, sutra chanting. Sutra chanting is actually a portion of a sutra that we will chant. Uh, most sutras are far too long to be able to chant in one sitting. So for us, uh, we're usually chanting a verse out of a longer narrative or prose. And that's why uh, each line consists of perhaps four or five or seven characters. When we chant, we read from left to right, just like in English, and we move down the first column, and then we move to the second column, and so on. Open circles uh, represent bells uh, for the chant leader to ring. So we always begin a sutra chant with two bells. Whenever we change a section, we use one bell to kind of signal that we're changing uh, from one section to another. And then when you end a sutra chant, you always end with three bells. Each syllable here is written in Romanized characters, English characters, and each syllable here represents a kanji, a Chinese character, and it's written phonetically. It's the sound of the character. The vowels have the same pronunciation independent of location or their neighbor. So this is different from English. And the vowel sounds, uh, I've been told, resemble those in Spanish. So we have A, E, I, O, and U. And they're pronounced A, E, E, O, and U. And then uh, you'll see uh, italicized lines. Uh, those are leader lines that I chant alone. And you will also see underlines under some of the characters. And that means that rather than each character getting a single beat, an underlying character will get a beat and a half. And to kind of make up that little extra time, the next character in line will only get a half beat. And what you do is you don't really concern yourself too much about the meaning of what's being chanted. This isn't flashcards. We're not trying to learn something. This is a ritual. And so we chant together as a feeling of oneness. Don't worry too much about how you're doing. Be aware and mindful of each character. Uh, this is a form of meditation. Uh, rather than silent meditation, we're meditating through sound. So, you know, you see the character, you say it, you forget about it, you move on, and you say the next character. And over time, it becomes effortless, and you'll begin to memorize it uh, without realizing it. We will now chant the Junidai found on page 49. Junidai or 12 verses of reverence, originated in the Mahayana tradition of India during the time of the Pure Land Master Nagarjuna, around 150 CE. The verses were later translated into the Chinese text that we chant today. Like the larger Sutra and the Amida Sutra, the text of Junidai describes the spiritual qualities of Amida and the Pure Land using poetic language. Please read the translation of the Junidai found on page 51, which describes in detail what the 12 verses of reverence actually means. We will now chant the Junidai. Keshu Tenin Shoku Gyo Oh. 
There is a new book that has just been released. It is titled, Secularizing Buddhism, New Perspectives on a Dynamic Tradition. It is edited by Dr. Richard Payne. He was the dean of the Institute of Buddhist Studies when I was studying there. I was able to take a course from him, and he was also my thesis advisor. When a book has an editor rather than an author, it is usually a sign that the book contains a series of essays by various scholars that are collected by the editor. This book has 13 essays, each with a different perspective on the subject. Secular refers to things that are practical. To put it in simple terms, secularism equals rationality, which equals science. This process has been occurring within our appreciation of Buddhism over the last hundred years. Secularization often equates Buddhism with psychology and the practical benefits one can achieve within their daily lives. This is, of course, an important and valuable aspect of Buddhism in America. Secularism has helped develop many new and creative interpretations that have helped the tradition reinvent itself and become more relevant within our modern culture and society. Many new to Buddhism are seeking secular benefits without the trappings of religion and ritual. People have families, jobs, and other commitments that prohibit practice within a monastic setting. Thus, the need for secularized practices, but they need to still honor the tradition. This presents gaps in understanding and loss of depth. This is where we can find a happy medium between the modern and the traditional. But this process of secularization is an involved and multifaceted one. One fear is that a secularized form of Buddhism might become the new orthodoxy. If this becomes the case, then we need to ask ourselves what might have been lost. Another question asked in this book is why does Buddhism need to be secularized? In other words, does Buddhism always need something done to it? This challenges our modern assumption that secularism is always universally good. One example of a secularized appreciation of Buddhism is the idea of balance. In 1999, when I first began to practice Buddhism, I thought the sole Buddhist teaching was to lead a life of balance. This was my understanding of the middle way, as a happy medium between extremes. For example, finding a balance between work and family, or between the political right and left. I thought that this was Buddhism in a nutshell. This is a very helpful approach to life, but there is more to Buddhism than this. What is lost is any notion or practice of transcendence. That is, rather than trying to find the middle, we instead begin to lose the notions of right and left, or good and bad. A secular approach is to find a middle between two extremes, where the spiritual approach is to transcend these extremes. For example, say you have a family member, a friend, or a co-worker who is sometimes challenging to be with. Perhaps they have a temper or are judgmental. One approach is to try not to focus too much on the negative. Rather than always lamenting on what is missing from your relationship, instead try to spend half your time finding the good in them. This will give you a more balanced appreciation of others. This is an effective approach. But there is also another approach. It is one of transcendence. Instead of judging the behavior of others as merely good or bad, you can begin to see them as a complete person. They are still contradictory, but aren't we all? Perhaps they have some rough edges or say things you wish they wouldn't. 
This still remains true for you. But this is no longer seen as their single defining trait. Over time, you can begin to see them as people who are trying to do their best, that there must be more to them than just this one behavior. These are people that care for you and are doing the very best they can. In other words, you accept them as they are. Now you are able to transcend that type of thinking and appreciate all the facets of your relationship with them. For example, you might realize that if it weren't for your family, you wouldn't even be here to critique them. This is when you can begin to accept them as they are. Relationships are messy and complex, and our friends and family are so much more than a specific behavior that we wish were different. Perhaps balance is a secular approach that can result in a spiritual transcendence. This book leaves us with such a reminder. Just as those who in our own time are explaining, reformulating, and analyzing Buddhism in secular terms, the Buddha seems to have taken some pains to acknowledge ways of practicing meditation that preceded Buddhism and integrate them into his own teachings. He adapted his teachings to specific individuals, drawing new similes and analogies that express the teaching in terms they would understand. This approach gives us that middle way, the happy medium we have been seeking between a Buddhism that is secular and one that is transcendent. Let's first find a middle between extremes until we are able to live a life without extremes. We come to accept ourselves and others just as they are, embracing life where we find it, not where we wished it would be. Thank you very much. Namo Amidavuts, Namo Amidavuts, Namo Amidavuts. Today's program was presented and produced by the Buddhist Education Center of Orange County Buddhist Church. Copyright 2021. Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, USA. All rights reserved.